When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. for his tight end, brought in by Mark Andrews, who escapes and goes all the way for the touchdown. Intercepted, picked up by Thomas. Earl Thomas with a foot race. Brown won't get him. That will be six. Running a little option. Jackson Gates. Jackson breaks the tackle. He's right to the pylon, and it's a touchdown. Hello and welcome to... Another episode of Pod Like a Raven. It's been two weeks. We've missed you, but we're back to talk about a few Ravens tidbits, a little bit of Ravens news, some NFL stories relating to coronavirus, relating to all-decade teams in the AFC North, and whether or not some Ravens have been snubbed. And then we have another sort of fun, different uh, game that we're trying to mix into these off-season episodes. But before we jump into this... Let me introduce my one co-host. Unfortunately, this week, uh, I'll, I'll name you first and then, and then talk about the, just the elephant in the room here. But first of all, joining me right now is Tim Horsey. Tim, how are you doing? I'm good, my friend. I was going to say, these, uh, these now every once every two week podcasts, I'm starting to miss you guys. And now I'm really missing Jace because, as you teased, he is not here with us today. we got to run with a two-man booth. We went to twice a week just because of there's not quite as much stuff going on to talk about it every week but we at the same time eliminated an hour of social conversing with human beings and friends and just ravens talk that we haven't been able to get i think outside of our house much like so you know you give and you take but uh glad to have you on right now as as tim mentioned jace cannot be on this week we miss you jace but we will see you in all likelihood two weeks from now uh, back on the show, so probably going to be a, sh- a shorter episode with uh, with the Statman not not available. But um, let's jump into some of the Ravens news first and foremost. And this we we Tim and I went back and forth on how much we wanted to talk about this. Is this just going to annoy us? But Jamal Adams, another update on his unrest in New York and looking to maybe go somewhere else and the Ravens once again getting whispered as a potential location. Tim, what's the uh what's the news? What's the update on Jamal Adams? Yeah, so it's interesting. We kind of 
like you said, we've talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago. We did a whole segment on should Jamal Adams steal Chuck Clark's job on in the Ravens' defensive secondary, and we went back and forth about how much draft capital and all this stuff. And it kind of seemed like a pipe dream. It was he was making murmurs again of I want to leave. Well, on Thursday, this past Thursday, as we record this episode, um, Jamal Adams has officially requested a trade from the New York Jets. Player power is, and we'll get into this, is out of control in my opinion nowadays. But he is basically treating himself like a free agent, even though he has two to three years left on his deal. He has said that he, and this is according to Adam Schefter, he is only willing to accept a trade to seven different teams, even though I don't think that's in his contract anyway. Those being the Cowboys, the Baltimore Ravens, the Texans, the Chiefs, the Eagles, the 49ers, and the Seahawks. Really taking a chance there, Jamal Adams. Just picking probably the seven best teams in the NFL, and I want to go there and I want to win. We'll get into this in a second. Let me lay this out and I'll give it back to you. But it is now seen, and this actually came uh, early Monday morning from ESPN, a story about, he's a Texas native, by the way, so kind of everybody's thinking he wants to go to the glitz and glamour of the Dallas Cowboys. There was a social media video posted of a guy basically seeing Jamal Adams drive away and like held the video camera up to him and said, Hey, Jamal, are you coming to Dallas? And Adams replied, quote, I'm trying, bro. So it seems like if Jamal Adams gets his way, and who knows, he wants to be a Dallas Cowboy. But the fact of the matter is the Ravens are thrown back into this list of teams of potential um, trade destinations for the all-pro safety, one of the best defensive players in the NFL. And, Antonio, uh, we, don't have to, we don't have to debate, really. And if you want to, we can. The does he fit in the Ravens defense or how much are you willing to give up? Go back a couple episodes. We, we, we did that debate and none of that has really changed in coronavirus. But what do you make of a player who has been in the league only a couple of years? He's only 24 years old. It's not like a guy who has really been on a crappy team for 10 years and finally is like, please, I need to leave. I need to go, go to a team that can possibly win, which is unfortunately not the New York Jets for all their fans. What do you make about these demands and kind of the um, the way that Jamal Adams is going about all of this? I mean, there's there's a lot here, man. It, I I find I love that you bring up that the teams he's interested in are all the good teams. So they're like you know, I guess it's nice to see a guy wants to win. That's sort of what his his goal is to go to a winning team. But if you're the Ravens, starting out with from the Ravens' perspective, first of all, the Ravens have to want this player for there to be any interest whatsoever, and that entails. Can they fit his the the financial aspect of it? Can they fit his salary on the roster? Um, are they willing to give up, you know, X, Y, and Z to get a player for only a few more years? Which is the final point is the Ravens have a lot of guys that they have to pay all around the same time. Starting next year, you know, the, the Ronnie Stanleys, the the Marlon Humphreys, the Lamar Jacksons. That's going to happen. So, are you essentially renting? a superstar young player for a few seasons knowing that he's going to be fourth, fifth, sixth on the list of guys that you, if you're going to re-sign them, are going to be super, super big money. So probably not a priority, probably doesn't end up staying. So with that, how much are you even willing to give up? I don't think it will end up being enough uh, for the Jets to to part with um, a two-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro in three seasons in the league. The other aspect is this idea of players 
demanding what teams they want to play on. Saying I'm trying, you know, to try to get on the Cowboys, that can mean a lot of things. He could just be speaking in jest that he's trying to get out of New York, basically, and the Cowboys are one of those teams. But the the issue with this is when these when players come out when they're still under contract and start demanding trades and demanding locations, they essentially just are eliminating incentive and they're eliminating their own team's sort of ability to have any sort of leverage in negotiations with trading to another team. So with that, I think the odds of them being traded actually go down because if, as the Jets have less and less uh, sort of ability to trade fairly because they want to get rid of a player who's a superstar and they want to get fairly compensated, the more that player complains, the more other teams know that they can just offer less and less and less. And with that, I think the Jets are more than likely to hold the player for longer uh, and, and try to figure out, you know, try to make, try to get better. And then maybe Jamal Adams sort of steps back on the on those trade, you know, demands. So th- there's a lot of moving pieces here. But I actually think one of the worst things these players can do is publicly say that because it's going to eliminate the likelihood that the that the Jets can get as much as they should be able to for a superstar like that. Yeah, it's such a great point because you make that point and somebody who is so pro-player can say, well, you you just don't want the players to have any power. You're just giving all the power back to the owners. And the, and the, the notion is, no, I support player power. I think it's great, you know, to a degree that these guys are, you know, you talk about the NBA and the building of super teams because, like, LeBron is the GM of the Lakers and he can do whatever he wants. Sometimes that gets a little overblown or sometimes it's it's – a bit too much in the player's hands. But the fact of the matter is, if you're frustrated and you're not getting paid by the team that you think you deserve, by the way, Jets, pay freaking Jamal Adams. This is where this whole problem started. He wants to be one of the highest-played defensive players in the NFL because he's already an all-pro at 24, and he's one of the best defensive players in the NFL. Just pay him. Like, this is... if In this situation, if this was Lamar Jackson and a guy who, again, has like two years left on his deal... I would be screaming at the Ravens to just pay the man. Just do it. And I understand that you can't cave to all these demands sometimes, but this is where this all starts. That being said, I cannot agree with you more about... I don't know who gets in their head, whether it's the agents or other players that they've spoken to who have dealt with this situation before. Le'Veon Bell, who is on the Jets right now, by the way. Of, oh... If you just demand everything, you're going to force their hand. But the other thing is, you force the other team's hands of going, oh, well, we can just lowball these guys because it's just going to be more and more of a headache. And all of a sudden, they're going to say two first-round picks. Okay, a first-round pick in a second. Okay, first and a future first and maybe a third. Okay. Okay, maybe just a first round pick, and like it, and it whittles. If, if you're willing to play the long game on that, I think it 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 can really whittle it down, and it puts the Jets in a terrible position. Now, then you go back and forth. The Jets apparently are willing to stand pat, and I can't disagree or I can't agree with that movie anyway because the guy's under contract. So much like Le'Veon Bell with uh, the Steelers when he did it a while ago, he's not going to play. He's going to miss a season of football if, if he really wants to stand pat on this stance that he has. And I think it's unfortunate for a guy who is already in the prime of his career at such a young age. Um, the, another, Just another quick point on this, too. 
It's being reported as well, uh, coming from Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, coming from ESPN as well, that that list of teams, it might not be the same list. I know the Cowboys are on both of these lists. You would assume that they're the same. But the ones that even though he's asking for an extension from the Jets, he he says, I don't necessarily need an extension. I just want to be traded and I'll play for that team. The Ravens are not going to rent that guy for two first-round picks. And, and, I mean, you nailed it already. I don't have to reiterate it. They've got other guys to pay. Their draft picks are so valuable because of all those other guys they have to pay. They have to keep hitting on the draft to keep this team good. And uh, you know who's going to do that is Jerry Jones because let's just put it out there. He doesn't know how much longer he has. This is one of the more talented Cowboys teams he's had in a while. If he can mortgage his future – and maybe even immediate future for a superstar in Jamal Adams and make them a, a, you know, one of the better teams in the NFC at that point, if you can get Dak across the line. I think he makes that move, especially because they're counting on Prescott to sign um, the the franchise tag. And, and we'll see at the, at the time of recording that hasn't happened yet. But with all that, they only have about $11 million in caps. So they're not going to be able to sign him to this massive extension. They're going to have to rent Jamal Adams. Who is the one team and the one guy that is willing to do that, willing to risk the future to win now? Well, Al Davis is no longer around, so it's Jerry Jones. Right. That, that, <laughs> the inverse of like my entire argument is, no, no, you should absolutely publicly request to play for the Cowboys because if you're a good player, Jerry True. Jones is going to jump up and down to try to, to, try to get you. Fair. Probably for not the right value. But um, just the last thing on the player empowerment, I have no problem with players – I've, I tend to view like a player, athletes really, and, and you know, in different sports, as employees at a company. Employees at companies leave all the time when they're not happy. They're allowed to not be happy with what their situation is and want to go to other companies and want you know want to move around. In this instance, my only edit to that is like tell your own team, and try to work it out in a way where they're working to get you on another team and also get a fair return but and I think as soon as you sort of start publicly demanding trades and stuff like this you're you're going to end up hurting in this case the Jets ability to get what you know the right value for you right and on that too I think I think at the beginning of whatever you want to call this player empowerment movement or this player power movement a lot of it was seen as taboo because the owners had and the organizations had way too much power for way too long that it was oh, you're demanding a trade, I can't believe... And this still happens because fans are fans, obviously. They stick around with their team longer than any player ever will. That's just how this works. Of, I'm always going to take my, my team's side because how can you absolutely want to request a trade away? This is ridiculous. Yada, yada, yada. I can't believe you don't want to bleed for this team. Yada, yada, yada. But if the situation is that bad, I think a player absolutely has the right to say, hey, I need to get out of this. Now... And again, I keep going to the NBA because they're the biggest example of this. And I was actually listening to a podcast uh, last week where they were talking about the Kevin Garnett move from the Timberwolves to the Celtics and how a lot of that was done behind the scenes because Kevin Garnett, who was a Minnesota Timberwolf, if you don't know, and then traded to the Boston Celtics, had a storied career with the Celtics afterwards. But he wanted to leave Minnesota because... There were some ownership things in the background, but there was also he didn't want to become the bad guy in that situation, so he kind of did it not in the public. 
and not that I have a problem with with players going out to the media if they don't trust their organization to to really help them out maybe they should absolutely force their hand by going public but sometimes I think you take it too far to the point where it makes it almost impossible like you said for said organization this one being the Jets to actually get any sort of value that they deserve for a guy like Jamal Adams who is one of the best players in the NFL the even I think Tim the NBA is a great comparison for this because the other aspect of this for the NFL is Really stepping back, will the NFL, it's already I think happening a little bit, but will the NFL continue to change from a player league as opposed to a team league? And I mean that in terms of fandom. In the NBA, there are a lot of fans that are fans of a player, and they don't really care what team he's on because all the games are, you know, you can watch all the games anyway. Um, so you just follow the movement of a certain superstar player. And I wonder if this, you know, you could say if Mahomes went to a different team, he's going to have a lot of fans, just NFL fans watch Patrick Mahomes. Is this going to keep happening? Is this going to trickle down with players like Jamal Adams where the players move around and you follow that guy because you like his game and how he fits into an NFL team? It's a little different, obviously, because there's way more players. The rosters are way bigger and, and a superstar in the NBA has much more influence with only five players on the court, but will I'll ask you this and then we'll move on from this. Do you think the NFL can turn uh, to being like, and this have you, you follow soccer and you know, this happens in soccer a ton where play, you know, fans from all over the world, like watching players and they almost don't really mind what team they're on. Do you think that can keep happening in the NFL or it's more uh, still going to be really geographic in terms of fanhood? Yeah, I'm conflicted on this because I think the NFL out of any of the major sports leagues around the world, you mentioned soccer. I mean, they are player power numero uno. And you, I mean, you have people obviously that diehard Liverpool fans in Liverpool, Manchester, Manchester United, in Madrid, Real Madrid, what have you. Um, I don't see the NFL turning that way. I think it's just a different, the way they brand everything, it's all team first, obviously. Like, you grow up playing the game, it's all about it's being a team game. And and I think it's more embedded in the NFL culture that you follow the team and, like, then you learn to love those the players from that said team. And you can, you know, have your flirtatious vibes with other players around the league that you like watching like we all do obviously because we love the sport but I don't see that happening my only caveat to that is I think the generation after us you know Antonio and I are in our late 20s at this point I think the generation after us is way more likely to just follow Mahomes wherever he goes um I I it and that, you know, I'm not trying to be old grandpa screaming from his, uh, his his front porch at all the young kids, but I I think that we might have been the last generation of of in terms of the totality of the generation that are more majority of. I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. Somebody leaves. Ed Reed left. It was soul crushing. But I'm not going to become a Jets or Texans fan. I can't even remember which one he went to first. Jets, I believe. Um, see, that's the thing. I don't even know because I'm, I was a Ravens fan. And, and I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to lose that. I would be very interested to see, you know, if we could jump in the future 15, 20 years down the line. Maybe it changes a little bit, but I just don't see that coming from the NFL. 
to wrap it up from a Ravens perspective when we the three of us uh, texted about this Jamal Adams story. You know, I'm still, I promise I'm still kidding, but my response was, can't fit Jamal Adams in the team once we get Jadeveon Clowney, who's also still available. So that's really the reason that the Ravens can't add Jamal Adams is because after Jadeveon Clowney, there's only, there's going to be like pennies left uh, in the salary cap to fit anybody else in. So moving on from that, uh, the other sort of interesting, sort of fun little note of the Ravens is uh, Lamar Jackson. Uh, We knew it already, but I've now seen him. Seen the Madden uh, Madden 2021 cover with him on it. Uh, it's nice to see a Raven player at, in a high profile because he's the you know MVP of the NFL. It's also terrifying if you believe in jinxes uh, for the Madden curse of players getting hurt every time they're on the Madden cover. Tim, I'm just going to toss to you here. Lamar Jackson on the Madden cover. Is it good or is it bad for the Ravens? Uh, I, I think it's awesome. Um, you know... As someone who bought his first Madden in years with Madden NFL 20, I will absolutely be buying 21, and I know friends of mine, Ravens fans, who will absolutely be buying Madden NFL 21 just because Lamar's on the cover. I think it's cool that one of the league's most recognizable stars and one of the most marketable, one of the most popular with every age group type of star is the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, which... Still a little weird to wrap your wrap your Never brain get around. Used to it, cannot get used to it. I will say as well, the Madden curse. I'm looking at a list of former Madden cover people. Uh, Sean Alexander, um, Vince Young was on the cover. Peyton Hillis was on the cover of Madden one time. Uh, Donovan McNabb uh, in that first game of the season after he was on it, he hobbled off the field with a hernia. He was never the same again. Michael Vick, we know what happened with that. Uh, Marshall Falk, a couple got Dante Culpepper, who never was the same. Um, I'm going to take you to a guy who also donned a Ravens uniform, who was on Madden NFL 2005, and a young Tim Horsey could not be more excited for the introduction of the hit stick because Ray Lewis was on the cover of Madden NFL 2005. I didn't care about the curse. It didn't matter. And guess what? Ray didn't get hurt. Well, Ray didn't miss games. Ray got hurt. He ended up breaking his wrist. He still featured in 15 games. He still had over 100 in solo tackles, but the Ravens went 9-7. and seven. They missed the playoffs for the first time in four years after, this, after he was put on the cover. Um, and if you look as well, he also, the following season, had a thigh injury that cost him to miss 10 games as a basically layover because he didn't miss, miss enough games with a broken wrist. It was also one of the only, it might have been the only season in his career or definitely the first season in his career where he had zero interceptions. Um, He only had one forced fumble, which is a low number for a man like Ray Lewis, obviously one of the most dominant, if not the most dominant linebacker of all time. So all a little concerning, but I will say the Madden curse is a thing of the past. I believe if you look at Madden NFL 20, the man on the cover of that was Patrick Mahomes, who just won the Super Bowl. So maybe that's a new trend that will continue and Lamar Jackson will be lifting the Lombardi next season. We'll see. I love the fact that we consider Ray Lewis, and I don't think you're wrong, Tim, that you considered the first thing you said was Ray Lewis didn't get hurt. He broke his wrist, but he didn't miss games. Didn't still, get hurt. Still played 15 games. Every All good. player in the NFL gets hurt during the season, and they play through all kinds of injuries. The thing with Lamar Jackson is just that this is going to be a thing now. Everybody's afraid of this poor guy 
just from his style of play. He's a running quarterback, running quarterback. He's going to take too many hits. He's going to take a bit. He's going to RG3 his career. And this just adds that, uh, oh man, that little anxiety to the whole situation. But I love that he's on the cover. I agree. It is. It will, I don't know when we'll get used to having a superstar quarterback on the Baltimore Ravens, but. Well, I'm just, I'm more worried about, you know, it's not even sophomore, but I guess if you're think, talking about like full-time starter, sophomore slump type of thing, like even if he has a decent season, even if he's like, let's say a Pro Bowl alternate, which people would lose their minds and it would be fine. It would be better than anything we've ever had before. But even that level, like let's say the team is, you know, 11 and five, still a playoff team, but because he he was not the unanimous MVP, people are going to lose their minds, which sucks for him. But at the same time, you know, you got to ride the wave odds here. I think it's great. So speaking of Lamar Jackson not getting hurt, the last thing we wanted to talk about in the uh, Ravens segment is Looked like Lamar Jackson got hurt a few days ago, a week ago, on the beach. And, uh, Lamar, I know you listen to this show religiously every week, so I'm just going to say it again. Just please be careful in the offseason. There's a video of him just, like, fooling around, playing football on a beach with some friends. And he's running, and he sort of doesn't see, I think it was a jet ski in front of him until the last second, and does the, the whole, like, let me just dive over this to not run into it kind of thing, which for those people who are athletic, that's something that they do. Uh, Most of us just sort of topple into it, but everybody was very scared for half a second. It made the news as a, did Lamar Jackson get hurt jumping over a jet ski? Um, But it seems like he's fine, but I'm already nervous (laughs) and I don't want to talk about this anymore. Tim, any thoughts on uh, Lamar uh, jump gate? I loved his outfit. That's about it. (laughs) Great outfit he was rocking, the, the unbuttoned pink shirt, really living the whole Florida man vibe, as as we know, he's from South Florida. Um, you know, I've I've had conversations with people then talking about, oh, is, 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 this, is his head going to get too big? I don't think so. He doesn't seem like that type of guy. You can see, obviously, we've talked about the off-season workouts a number of times. We've talked about his already breaking down that, that Titans loss and, like, knows what he has to improve and all this stuff. The pessim the pessimistic point of view is like, oh look, he's horse he's horsing around. Oh, I can't believe he's doing this. He should be throwing to his receivers more, or whatever it is, or going. I thought you were gonna practicing. say wrapped wrapped in like bubble wrap inside right. of his house, yeah, or something like that. The kid's in his early twenties. Like obviously, I there's I don't think like I don't even think this is an immaturity thing. I really don't. I think he's mature beyond his years. Of the guy just wants to freaking win. In the regular season, he's only lost to the Chiefs. Like, the Chiefs and somebody else. I can't remember who the other team is off the top of my head. Uh, it's You're right to not remember them because it's the Cleveland Browns. Right. Good call. Once. I, 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 only once. Only once. And the Chiefs twice. I mean, the guy's only lost three regular season games in his career. Like, it's okay. And, until he proves us otherwise, be willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and not like every other Baltimore Ravens fan on every other Baltimore Ravens topic, drive yourself insane with pessimism. Just don't do it. It was not long ago that Lamar Jackson was starting a playoff game and had Ravens fans calling for Joe Flacco to come into the game in the second half. And that same player ended up doing pretty good in his second season in, in Lamar. So I agree with you there, Tim. All right, let's turn to the NFL. 
Now, um, again, just a, a few things we wanted to go over. One of them is going to be reminiscing uh, on the past decade, but before we get to that, this is sort of the more forward-thinking point. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci was interviewed in a CNN article, and I, I know you guys all know who he is. I mean, that, that Fauci has been floating around ever since the coronavirus really took hold in the United States, but he's the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, um, and he's sort of really been spearheading the, the whole U.S. response and U.S. plan to, to the coronavirus. And he was quoted in, in a CNN story saying that, in his opinion, the NFL is going to have to start the season in a bubble, quote-unquote, similar to what the NBA has talked about. And, and that just means isolating the players, the staff, you know, the personnel for, for each team and isolating them all in one location rigorous you know testing coronavirus testing to make sure there aren't any positive cases and that that's the only way for the NFL to have a season because otherwise the virus is just going to it's going to be too easy to spread and it'll get out of control and they're going to have to you know pull the plug on the season at some point early on i you know i don't want to talk about it too much cuz at this point it's speculation we're still months away from this but tim is it even possible that the NFL could, would try to do this. The NBA has been talking about it for months, and it should be easier for the NBA to do it. And by the way, it hasn't happened yet. They, they still haven't really figured out all the kinks. They're trying to do it in Florida, and that's been a disaster there. So, you know, build this out from 12-man, 13-man rosters to 60-plus player rosters. Is this even possible? And how is it too early to start getting a little nervous? And don't forget, the NBA is not even bringing everybody. They're bringing the teams that are left in playoff contention. They're finishing the season and then going right into the playoffs. MLS, who was, do, was supposedly, and they are still on, are going to do the same thing at the Wild World Sports in Florida. And they are supposed to be having uh, a tournament. Rather than the season, they're just going to play a, a World Cup-style tournament instead, eliminating the number of games. Obviously, the squads are a lot less than they are um, for NFL rosters. I'm not going to sit here and debate with Dr. Fauci about what is right and what is wrong. I just don't think that, first of all, I don't think the NFL would do that. And I don't think it's feasible. I really don't. I think it would be, inc- if one if one league could pull it off, it's the National Football League, you know, because they'll, they <laughs> want to make their money however they can, um, to put it cynically. But I just, trying to throw all 32 teams with 53-man rosters and coaching staffs and trainers and all of that stuff into one area, I, I just don't see it happen. The what I think their first step is just going to end up being is just delay. I mean, they're going to try to push this back. I think they've been wanting to to push it back a little bit. Our, our dream scenario of the Super Bowl happening uh, before President's <laughs> President's Day holiday. We're just two weeks away from that in terms of pushing stuff back. So I think they'll try to do that. I agree with you. I don't think. This bubble thing is going to be possible. I think so many players would not want to do it or opt out if they felt unsafe for, for various different reasons. It's a contact sport. You are constantly running into other people in a closed space. Uh, the I, I'm sort of my take on this in terms of even just the coronavirus is the the big issue is going to be as we get into the winter months. Is it possible that coronavirus has this big second spike as as flu season, what regular flu season picks up? 
So I sort of view this as they're going to try to start it in a regular way and then let's just hope things don't get out of control in November because otherwise they're going to just have to stop and, and not continue the season flat out. They're not going to have things in place where they can just immediately pivot to a bubble situation or, or to certain situations. So there's so many question marks. I suppose you know it's good we're still three three months away, even though the time June has flown by. So we're, we're getting closer and closer to activities, at least, that these NFL teams are going to have to do to get ready for the season. That's the other aspect of this. Are they going to be doing enough of the preseason stuff? Are they going to be in shape? Are they going to have this preseason games to be ready to start a season on time? And there's so many questions, but obviously that's hearing that from Fauci, not the greatest news for the moment. Um, Maybe we'll see the NBA can figure it out in the next month, and then we'll have a, a blueprint in front of us for how the NFL can can sort of pivot to it quickly. But, um, Tim, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on this, but not the greatest news as coronavirus keeps ruining everything everywhere. So we'll see. We'll see how they – you know, a vaccine is just going to pop up in the next three months, Tim, and, and that's going to solve everything. But we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens there. So we're going to move now to the other thing we wanted to talk about, which is the – ESPN doing sort of breakdowns of the all-decade teams in each division. They did this uh, about a week ago, so I wanted to review the AFC North all-decade team with you, Tim. And at first glance, I was disappointed in the number of Ravens on the all-decade team, and I thought, this team won a Super Bowl this decade. Uh, not many of the teams, I think not none of the teams in the AFC North outside of the Ravens have won a Super Bowl this decade. Why are there only, what did it end up being, seven? Uh, seven Ravens on a team that features 22, 23, 25 players. Seven Ravens. I wanted more, and then I sort of looked through the roster and thought, no, it's, it's fair. Uh, the Ravens, I'll name them quickly, and then Tim, I want to get your take on Players yeah, you thought maybe should have squeaked in there, players that shouldn't have been there, any Ravens that maybe should or should not have been there. So the guys who did make it, and this is looking at 2010 to 2020, obviously, the decades. So some of these players may be a little strange based on the number of seasons they even played in the decade. But Ray Rice, Marshall Yanda, Terrell Suggs, Mosley, Reed, Tucker, and Cook are the seven guys. you got to love that two of the seven are special teamers. But, <laughs> Tim, I'm going to turn to you here. Thoughts on the Ravens uh, in this AFC North all-decade team? Yeah, so just for context for everybody, I know, I know it might be a little lengthy, but I, I do want to read out this list because primarily I don't disagree with a lot of it. Um, so you have Ben Roethlisberger, quarterback, Le'Veon Bell and Ray Rice as your running backs, Antonio Brown and A.J. Green as your receivers, Joe Thomas and Andrew Whitworth when he was with the Bengals as your tackles. Yonda and DeCastro at guard. Marquise Pouncey at center. And Heath Miller at tight end. Um, then Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, and Cameron Hayward across the 3-4 defensive line with Terrell Suggs, C.J. Mosley, Lawrence Timmons, and James Harrison uh, as your linebackers. Joe Hayden, Adam Jones, Ed Reed, Troy Palomalu make up the defensive backfield. And as Antonio said, Justin Tucker and Sam Cook with Antonio Brown being your kick returner, punt returner. Overall, pretty solid list. I can't really disagree with a ton of stuff. Adam Jones kind of threw me off, but he was a first-team All-Pro in 2014 and a Pro Bowler in 2015. You forget about him coming into the league with the Titans, getting in a fight at a strip club, thinking that his whole career was kind of over. Had a little bit of a revival with the, the Bengals, but for my money, 
Jimmy Smith or Lardarius Webb, who would kind of be the guys who would fill that role from a Ravens perspective. Maybe you give it to Adam Jones. Maybe I'm wearing purple tinted glasses there. Um, there is no respect for the fullback. There's no fullback. Where's Vontae Leach? What are we doing? Like, you're not. You're just not going to add a fullback. Did you watch the Ravens' offense this season with Pat Ricard, who made it? Did you watch the 49ers' offense this season, the two best offenses in the NFL, with Kyle Juszczyk, a former Raven? A little iffy to me that they just did not include a fullback there. I think that's um, uh, fullbackist, if that's a thing. But the 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 one glaring omission I have, and it's because I think. I think Geno Atkins is one of these guys because he plays a position that is not that glamorous that, oh, he had a decent season, pencil him in for the Pro Bowl. He's just become one of those guys that he's made it so many times that you just assume that he's a Pro Bowler, even maybe when he's not playing at his best. I hate to invoke this name, but kind of Ray Lewis towards the end of his career or the general NFL fan who says, oh, yeah, that defense won them the Super Bowl in 2012. They did not. They were not very good. I think Atkins is one of those guys and who I would replace him with is Haloti Nada, who was still on the Ravens from 2010 to 2014. Geno Atkins in his time, still currently playing. He played the entire decade. He's made eight Pro Bowls, two first-team All-Pros, and one second-team All-Pro. Pretty impressive, right? Not bad. For an all-decade team, can't get much better. Haloti Nada in five seasons, half the time, four Pro Bowls, half as much in half the amount of time, Two first-team All-Pros, the same amount of All-Pros, and a second-team All-Pro, the same amount of second-team All-Pros, and a Super Bowl, the thing that counts the most in this game. I The, the Nada one, the Nada disrespect there, I think, is ridiculous, personally. Um, but outside of that and the just complete ra- lack of respect for fullbacks, I don't really have an issue with the list. I, you know, drag him, Tim. I love it. We talked all about Holodinata last week and, and, and most weeks because he's one of our uh, favorite long-tenured Ravens who's a just force, an owned his position yeah. for years. I mean, I don't even know if this name should be in there because he doesn't really... I don't know where he's going to squeeze in, but Elvis Dumerville, you know, yeah, he played four seasons with the Ravens, had 35 and a half sacks in four seasons as sort of like a you know a, a second career outside of after he left Denver. That was one of the game one of the names who could have squeaked in here. I just I love Ed Reed being on this list. Uh, he played for the Ravens from 2002 to 2012 and is on the 2010 to 2020 All Decade team. So why isn't Ray Lewis then? <laughs> same same thing. He played till 2012. Put him on there too. Come on. I don't have. I want to pull up Ed Reed's stats if I can quickly because I feel like. In one of those seasons, either 11, either well, while 10, you're doing 11, that. 12, he had a, like a ton of interceptions late in his career. So I guess that that alone puts you on this list. Yeah, that might have sparked it. I mean, Palomalu played till 2014, so that's a, a bigger chunk of that decade. Um, while you're looking up those, just a couple other guys who I thought, uh, Doomerville, I agree. The problem is James Harrison and Suggs. Right, where are you going to put them? They're yeah. probably going on the all-decade team for the entire NFL in the 2010s. Um, so strong, Bolden. Never put up the numbers, but was just such an impact guy for a couple of years there with the Ravens. Kelechi Assemele, a guard. Um, I think, again, the offensive line is pretty strong. DeCastro has been very good, but that was a guy who kind of dominated for a few short years there. You mentioned Doomerville, Dem- Dennis Pitta. Like, Heath Miller's another guy. Maybe it's just my Steelers hate, but it's like, 
I think Heath Miller was only good because they stole the Todd Heap thing and started going Heath every time he caught the ball. And so everybody thought he was like some household name when he was just fine. Like Heath Miller was a fine tight end. So I think a guy like Pitta could have maybe stolen that spot from him. Um, and then, like I mentioned before, maybe Jimmy Smith and Lardarius Webb and like Jimmy at his peak, but probably too injury prone to really be put on this list. Pulled up Ed Reed. It was 2010. Man, Ed, I miss I miss you, Ed Reed. In 2010, Ed played 10 games and had eight interceptions. Jeez. And, and was an all-pro. Am I reading this correctly? And made an all-pro safety playing 10 games in a season. Uh, he ended up pl- starting all 16 games in 2011 and 2012 with the Ravens, having three interceptions and four interceptions. He has the Super Bowl. He's got the All-Pro and three Pro Bowls. I, I take it back, Ed. I'm sorry. Not bad. I take it back, and Not I bad. wish you were still on this team. Uh, the last point I'm going to make is, so, t- Tim, you uh, you jotted down sort of the, the total number for each team here, and it's uh, 11 for the Steelers, 6 for the Bengals, 7 for the Ravens, and then 2 for the Browns. And I guess sort of the hesitation at first thinking 7 wasn't enough, and then looking at these numbers, the balance between – Ravens, Bengals, Steelers was that for the majority of this decade, at least two of those three teams were fighting for playoff spots. And in multiple seasons, all three of them were fighting at the same time. So, you know, f- fair to see the, see the Bengals. They, they won a few titles in, in that decade, didn't win uh, many playoff games, but had some good teams. So I just wanted to review this all decade team and uh, reminisce on, on Ed Reed, really. And, and safe to say that we can all agree the Browns stink. Perfect, having two, two guys. One would have been maybe more funny if it was just one single. Well, uh, we could say one um, and a half because they have Joe Thomas, thoroughly deserved. But then they have Joe Hayden, who is split time with the Browns and the Steelers. Oh, my goodness. So maybe that's a half. Uh, if, if we recalculated these numbers, because the Steelers have a couple of those guys. You know, James Harrison, you can't really argue because he played for the Bengals too, but that was very much the end of his career at that point. But Joe Hayden... Maybe that's a splitsy. So maybe we just say one and a half uh, for the Browns instead of two. I love it. Browns, we take away a half of one of your of one of your players on the All Decade team. One and a half. All right. So now we're gonna do. Uh, it's my turn for the random Raven. I'm sorry, Tim. It's just, it's just you this week uh, to guess. So I tried to. Uh, you know, there's no no big surprises with with this name, but um, you know, just give me a puzzled look as I read through the clues, and I can add a few other clues on here. So. I, I think you're going to get based off of what we've been, uh, who we've been going over the last few weeks. So, this random Raven was drafted by the team in the 2012 NFL Draft in the fourth round. He played three seasons with the Ravens, won a Super Bowl playing in 16 games in 2012, but he didn't start any of those games. However, in 2013, he replaced a six-time Pro Bowl lineman, to be a starter on the Ravens' offensive line. And he then started all 16 games in that season. But then by 2014, he gets one season where he starts all 16 games. And by 2014, he's replaced by Jeremy Zuta and would never start another game for the Ravens again. He ended up playing... I don't have it in front of me. He ended up playing with two other teams, one being the Carolina Panthers and the other being a team I can't remember. And he played three more seasons in the NFL. Uh, He's no longer an active player. So that is the random Raven. 
Tim seems to have an idea. So yeah, I'm I'll stop I, the clues there. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good place to stop the clues. I'll say because remember, I was the one who picked Jeremy Zuta as a random raven, and I believe this random raven was part of my clues for Jeremy Zuta when he was the random raven. I could be wrong, but we'll I see. I can neither confirm nor deny. We'll see. But I did like the idea of, of going off of off of last week's Jeremy Zuta. Well, that right. that makes people think Hey, you got to listen to last week's episode. You know, what can I, yeah. if, if you know that, then maybe you'll know this. If you haven't listened to it, you just go, just go back, just go back and listen to that episode, and then come pause come right here. One. You get more Jace, you get less us. That's usually a good thing, um, and then you can come back at this spot and just resume this episode. All right. So the last big topic that we want to go over this week, and I'm just, you know, I'm going to come right out with it. I am, uh, I'm stealing an idea from. Uh, the, the the sports pod father basically, and that's Bill Simmons. He does uh, in different versions, different variations. For he does a lot of NBA redrafts. Uh, calls him the, he he looks at the Bulls a lot of times. Calls it the redraft of Bulls. If you listen to the Bill Simmons uh, podcast, where he essentially goes back in time at different NBA drafts and redrafts where players could have fit better on different teams or where players should have gone in the draft. Looking you know looking back ten. 5, 10, even 15 years. So I'm gonna, I'm stealing it, Bill. I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm trying to give you as much, uh, as much credit here as possible because I thought we could do the, a, a version of that for the Ravens. I mean, we're not going to spend too much time here going through the entire, you know, repicking the entire draft for any, every NFL team because we're not experts on every NFL team, but we sure know the Ravens pretty well. So this week we're going to start with one of the more interesting uh, NFL drafts, and that's the 2013 draft, which for the Ravens is the first draft after the Super Bowl. So we're going to look at, I mean, I guess, no spoiler here, the Ravens end up taking Matt Elam with the 32nd pick in the NFL draft, and he becomes one of the biggest busts in Ravens draft history. But So we're going to jump into this list of draft picks. Tim, Thoughts on just this idea? Thoughts on, on going through this? If, is it going to make us sad? Is it going to open up the idea of uh, drafting is hard? What do you think about this? No, I mean, I, I like this because, you know, and and maybe when we have Jace as well and, and we could do like an entire episode actually redrafting like the top 15 picks or whatever it is. But for right now, we're just kind of looking. And this is a Ravens podcast, obviously. You're here for that. I, I like the idea of saying – and, you know, when you brought this to me, I immediately pull up the, the Wikipedia pages for these drafts. does a really nice job of highlighting, like, pro bowlers and certain things. So you can do a quick scroll. And, I mean, man, if you look, I like, round one, pick 32, Ravens select Elam, and you just scroll down. There are some guys that the Ravens could have taken that probably would have made a pretty significant impact. And, and yeah, we all know the draft is a very difficult process. A lot of the times you could even consider it a crapshoot. Um, but I like the idea of kind of going through here. We could even look at some of the guys that we thought might have been good at the very beginning. This is the draft, if you don't remember, where it was Eric Fisher versus Luke Jokel. The two offensive tackles, one of them from Central Michigan, who was going to go first. A very unsexy draft uh, at the top of the board there. But uh, look at it from a Ravens point of view. I'm excited. So why don't we dive into this? So let's. I, I first want to just set the scene for where, where are we in Ravens history? We've just won a Super Bowl. Let's start with that. Uh, the, the Joe Flacco is elite question has finally been answered for that sp- very narrow stretch of games where he had that 
for just four amazing games in the playoffs. They win the Super Bowl, and then they lose the following players in this offseason after the 2013 Super Bowl. Ray Lewis, if you've heard of him, he retires. They lose Ed Reed. These are all, most of these are starters now that I look at the list. Let me just run through it. Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Paul Kruger, who was good that one time, Anquan Bolden, one of the more important wide receivers in Ravens history, Matt Burke retires as well. He gets his ring and retires. Coleccio Semele leaves. Donnell Ellerby leaves. Special teams ace Brendan Ayanbadejo. All gone. So there are many, many spots to fill. Just gaping holes in the roster that you then turn to the draft. And if, you know, you would love to just nail that first pick in the first round, given that it's pretty late in the round, and try to fill one of these spots. The Ravens end up trying to replace, I suppose, the Ed Reed slot uh, by, by taking Matt Elam, and that doesn't go so well. Uh, so we're going to run through some of these other teams. I'm just going to say this quickly. The first round, I'm not going to name all of them at the moment, but the first round ends up having 12 future Pro Bowlers selected. The second round has six Pro Bowlers selected. There's third Pro Bowlers that come out of the third round of this NFL draft. One of the deeper drafts in a long time. A lot of talent. And there's so many guys the Ravens could have picked. So, Tim, do we want to sort of look through the picks before Matt Elam? Some of the names that that stand out from before Matt Elam? Because, you know, in theory, the Ravens could have tried to move up in this draft, too. And there's one guy I'm talking in particular who gets drafted just a few slots ahead of Matt Elam who would have been a pretty nice pick there at 27 if the Ravens could have moved up to take him. But why don't we, you want to dive through uh, or look through the, this first round quickly? Yeah, we'll just quickly move through here. You know, it's funny, you say it's a deep draft, and if you scroll through, there are a lot of good players in the, in the middle rounds, guys, that you very much recognize. Uh, one in particular who I cannot wait to talk about when we get to that section of this. But the top of this draft is garbage absolute garbage and let's start with my friends the Cleveland Browns selecting Barkevious Mingo basically because they looked at his name and they said that's a cool name Barkevious Mingo we're gonna draft that guy out of LSU he was a total bust this was the same draft if you don't remember these all of my draft nicks out there there were two guards Jonathan Cooper out of North Carolina and Chance Warmack out of Alabama both supposed to be absolute locks and and which one would you take you know you got your tackles Eric Fisher and Luke Jokel at the top there which one would you end up taking out of the guards because the guards not a sexy pick but if he's going to be a good player when do you take him the Cardinals took Jonathan Cooper at seven Um, the Titans took Chance Warmack at 10 and neither of them did anything this is also Baltimore's own Tavon Austin he went to West Virginia got selected in the top 10 I think this is the, the final guy where they figured out a gadget guy doesn't really work in the NFL, and if he does, we'll draft him in the third round, not top ten. Um, and then after that, I mean, in terms of guys the Ravens could have taken, I know who you're going to – I'll let you have your guy. Um, so the one guy that that I think is interesting, and it's sort of in the same track of guards, but instead centers, a guy who recently retired after a stellar career, is the guy that the Dallas Cowboys select right before the Ravens at 31, Travis Frederick. When they made the pick, everybody kind of questioned it. And then you realize, well, he only has a second or third round grade because he's a center. That's the only reason. The Ravens were losing Matt Burke. Can you imagine? They don't use your random Raven and instead select Travis Frederick, and he just leads that offensive line for years to come. There's no Zuta. There's no 
He played great this year, but there's no Matt Sakura. There, you don't have to rely on a rookie, an undrafted rookie, Patrick McCarry, because you have Travis Frederick in the middle of your offensive line. I mean, you're going sexy pick. I'm going meat and potatoes. That guy would have been a great selection, and the Ravens really only had to move up one spot to get him. Your pick seems so much more realistic for so many different reasons. It, it, would, it would have been the right pick, you know, just a known right pick for the Ravens. As you said, it was only one slot, so you see that a lot in the draft for these teams. The Ravens moved from 32 to 30, for example, to grab Frederick ahead of the Dallas Cowboys, which we see that. I think we saw it in this, in this past draft. I'm going to go four or five spots earlier than this, still within range of a team realistically being able to move up in the first round without you know giving up a dozen picks. Oh, man, I'm, I'm getting heartburn just thinking about this. So at 27, still on the board is a stud wide receiver out of Clemson who had just had 1,400 receiving yards and 18 touchdowns. Had all the talent in the world, is sitting at 27, and that's DeAndre Hopkins. And when you are the Ravens, you've just essentially let Anquan Bolden just go. I mean, that, that has forever been a story that even the Ravens like personnel have admitted that they would have loved to have kept uh, Anquan Bolden on the roster, and that, that was the one that got away, so to speak. But if you move up... Uh, Five spots to 27, take DeAndre Hopkins, get that number one receiver to fill right in the Anquan Bolden shoes. You have Torrey Smith on one side, DeAndre Hopkins on the other side, and then just still Joe Flacco dumping it to Ray Rice every other down. So, in you know, it's all pipe dream stuff. That's the one name I'm going to say that I would have loved to have seen the Ravens obviously go forward and get, but maybe a little unrealistic. It's obviously very difficult to, to trade up in the, in the NFL draft especially in the first round. But don't worry, because when you look backwards, there's plenty of names that also could have fit in a couple of very nice slots. And I'm going to start with two names, and then I'll, I'll go to you, Tim. Pick 35, pick 36. The Philadelphia Eagles take Zach Ertz, who becomes a pro bowler, uh, I believe an all-pro. I'll have to look that up when I toss to you, Tim. Super Bowl winner and just a stud tight end. I could just imagine him f- taking that Dennis Pitta spot and just becoming the heir apparent to Dennis Pitta, who after the Super Bowl is going to end up just with all the hip injuries you could ever have and, and never really could stay many seasons after that Super Bowl. So Zacherts, a lovely pick, taken only four slots after Matt Elam. And then the pick immediately after that which if you were trying to address the secondary, yes, he's not a safety, would not have been the Ed Reed slot, but Darius Slay, another pro bowler taken by the Detroit Lions, the cornerback out of Mississippi State, who has become one of the best, maybe most dependable corners in the NFL. Either guy. Either guy would have worked. Either guy would have fit a need on the team. Uh... But didn't, it didn't work out, Tim. And, and Matt Elam haunts my dream. The, the missed tackles of Matt Elam will forever haunt me in my sleep. So I, first of all, Zach Ertz was not an all-pro. Does hold the record for most receptions by a tight end in a season. Um, I have to look if that's college or the NFL. Because in, in this Wikipedia, they just list all of their accomplishments in one. But 116 catches in a season? I mean, maybe. Who knows? We'll have to look that one up. And and Antonio could look that one up while I was looking up the All-Pros, I guess. Um, But I treated this a little differently. I treated it as 
maybe they weren't super close to Matt Elam, but in terms of in a complete retrospective, if I could knock on Ozzy's door right now and say, hey, hey, no, 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 pick that guy instead. I, I, no, I know he has a fourth-round grade. I know Ozzy. Trust me, I'm from the future. I'm going with a man who also plays tight end but was a two-time first-team All-Pro, a two-time second-team All-Pro, a five-time Pro Bowler, and most recently a Super Bowl champion. That is one Travis Kelsey who went with the first pick in the third round. I mean, come on. It's it's Todd Heap on steroids. He might be on steroids. Todd Heap. I'm just kidding. I'm absolutely kidding. Todd Heap. Um, in the modern NFL sense, I guess, Travis Kelsey would be an incredible weapon for Joe Flacco, uh, who already had Dennis Pitta as well. Um, another guy in the second round with the 52nd overall selection who went to the New England Patriots and has been very up and down in his career, but when he's very good, he's very good. That's Jamie Collins, uh, the outside linebacker who went to Southern Miss. Uh, just another absolute beast a pro bowler and second team all pro in 2015 also super bowl champion um i already mentioned travis kelsey a couple other guys here you're talking about route running precision wide receivers a guy that could have replaced anquan bolden catching those tough balls in the middle of the field a guy who's kind of been lost with the chargers keenan allen went in the third round after the Ravens selected arthur brown keenan allen the 76th overall selection out of california he would have been a super reliable set of hands for Joe Flacco. Um, and then one more I got to do, and I got to tell this story. I was an intern at 106.7 The Fan in D.C. Uh, with LeVar and Dukes. There was a player who lit it up in college, then kind of had a couple problems, off-the-field issues, if you want to put it that way. I believe might have not even played for a season. And people didn't really know where he would go, but he was the ultimate ball hawk type of playmaker. It took him a while to kind of find his form in the NFL. And one LeVar Arrington, I was working on his show, credit to him, said, this guy is a first-round pick. You have to draft this guy in the first round. Everybody thought he was crazy because nobody thought that this guy, even though he lit it up his fresh, I believe it was his freshman year of uh, college at LSU, Nobody thought he was a first-round pick after that. It's Tyram Matthew with the 69th overall selection in the third round. Has become one of the best safeties, one of my favorite players to watch. He's all over the field. He can play in the box. He can play as the deep safety. I mean, the list of accomplishments here. Super Bowl champion, a pro bowler, two-time first-team all-pro, second-team all-pro, all-rookie team, and now currently on the NFL's 2010s all-decade team after being an SEC championship, uh, SEC champion, Heisman Trophy finalist, Chuck Benarek winner, SEC Defensive Player of the Year, and consensus All-American in 2011 when he was with LSU. Tyron Matthew, a ton of questions around him coming out, obviously, and that's why he fell so far. But, man, even if it wasn't in the first round, if the Ravens took a flyer, so we have Matt Elam, but just in case he doesn't work out in the second or third round, let's draft Tyron Matthew, too, just in case. I mean, what are we talking about here, guys? I, I love Chuck Clark, but even I would have to dump Chuck Clark if Tyron Matthew was there. Yeah, he had missed. He was dismissed from LSU, and he didn't play the 2012 season. Right. So he went, you know, and, and that's the hardest part for that is that must have, I, they probably, I'm sure his name was on the board, 
Um, but I would love to see where the Ravens put him in terms of just the unknown uh, of the guys, you know, focused and trying to enter the NFL. Tim, you, you, you went over the point quickly that I just want to go over again. Can't forget the Ravens. Yeah. Before Travis Kelsey had two picks, (laughs) they take Matt Elam. They also take Arthur Brown in the second round at pick 56. Kelsey ends up going 63. Not that many picks later. Very frustrating to to think we could have had Kelsey instead of a linebacker who they tried to make him the heir apparent to Ray Lewis. Didn't work out. I want to go back quickly to your Zach Ertz point. 116 catches in 2018 for the Philadelphia Eagles. I also I have no memory of that happening, so g- good on you, Zach Ertz. Looking through these second and third round. Aside from the Pro Bowlers, the All-Pros, there's also just a few random names who could have been really nice fits. And and I guess you wouldn't want maybe the Ravens to have reached for these players, but they sure could have taken them before Arthur Brown. Uh, And there's a couple guys. Giovanni Bernard was pick 37. That's a guy that I feel like on the Ravens, in tandem with Ray Rice, could have been just a devastating a uh, combination of like quick, you know, running backs that you can move all over the field. Um, who else here? Robert Woods ends up going 41st. He's had a just a super successful career, first with the Bills and then really took off with the Rams. That's a guy who could have become the number one wide receiver on the Ravens. And this is a guy that ends up going pick 41. Kiko Alonso ends up going right around the time that Arthur Brown goes. He goes about 10 picks before him. He's been a starting linebacker for many years, a a guy who could have been, I mean, he's obviously not going to be the heir apparent to Ray Lewis, but sure could have plugged the hole and been a starter for multiple seasons. And then the last name in the second round that I want to go over, and he is a pro bowler, is the Le'Veon Bell pick. Do we want to talk about Le'Veon Bell a little bit here, Tim? Pick 48, goes to the Steelers. Obviously, running back is not a position of need for the Ravens at this point in time. A lot of other holes to to fill in here, but any thoughts on on Le'Veon Bell during the draft, after the draft? I can't can't honestly sit here and admit I don't remember exactly. Le'Veon Bell reminded me of as soon as the Steelers picked him, I went bleep. Like, because you just knew that it was going to work out. And, like, that was a workhorse in college who ended up just... He was known in college as kind of a bruiser, and then in the NFL is known for, you know, he's he's got power and he's got size, but he's also so nimble and so hard to tackle, which is like a, a, an element that he added when he moved to the professional ranks, which is just is, is a wild concept, really. Um, I think the problem with Le'Veon Bell is I think we were still kind of in this, and may, may, I could be wrong, and if you want to prove me wrong, obviously, Pod Like a Raven, Twitter, Instagram, Raven at gmail.com if you'd like as well. I still feel like the the league was at the tail end of the whole we don't need to do this running back by committee bit. That maybe you didn't need the superstar, but the Ravens had Ray Rice, so why would they go for a guy in the second round? Fast forward to 2020, they pick J.K. Dobbins, even though they've got a stable of three running backs already um, that are formidable and, and, and with Mark Ingram, very, very good. So I think... Again, if you can go back in time and say, hey, the league is changing, you can go this way, get this guy, and they believe you, I think that's the right way to go. But I think in that time, they were still kind of, we've, we've got our Ray Rice. Clearly, they didn't know the issues with Ray Rice that were, that were coming sooner rather than later. But 
I don't know if they necessarily wanted to load their backfield up that way. Um, you know, every team and the Ravens more than others say we draft talent. We don't draft for need, but at some point you do absolutely draft for need as well. When it comes down to picking between two guys of a similar talent level. Another interesting difference here is that this is an Ozzie Newsome-led draft, not an Eric DaCosta-led draft, and we've already seen in the last two seasons how DaCosta has changed a little bit the draft philosophy, just in terms of names and positions that he's drafted early that we didn't really see Ozzie Newsome do a ton of. So I'm going to pretend one last time that if Eric DaCosta is leading the draft room uh, in 2013, that he makes it a point to draft a playmaking wide receiver and get speed on that team, and he's going to move up five slots to get to get a stud wide receiver. Um, I do want to look at the back half of this draft, however, because if the goal of your draft is to you know get Pro Bowlers, get good starters, the Ravens end up doing better, way better, <laughs> in fact, in the second half of this draft as opposed to the first half. And uh, Jordan Reed goes 85th in the third round to the Redskins, and he becomes a pro bowler at some point in his career. After that, from basically from pick 90 in the third round on, there are only five players who are drafted who end up making pro bowls, and the Ravens have two of them, which is pretty impressive. They do end up getting Brandon Williams 94th in the third round, and then get uh, Tim probably had this as like the number one position of need fullback in the fourth round, and they take Kyle Juszczyk uh, at pick 130. And both guys end up taking on gigantic roles on the team. So I suppose, you know, by the end of this draft, the Ravens had two pro bowlers and two starters. You would say that's a good draft, but frustrating that in the early parts, had they made a few different picks here and there, adding Brandon Williams and then adding Juszczyk, you would have had a new core of players who could have really, really helped put this team over the top. Um in the season's post post Super Bowl, yeah. So I mean, use check is not my typical fullback, not my fullback, but a weapon for sure. And then we've seen um, the San Francisco Forty ers really utilize him as well. Um, and then Brandon Williams, man, unfortunately, probably coming towards the end of his Ravens career, which is scary to think that the twenty thirteen draft felt like yesterday, and yet. It was a very long time ago, and we're we're all getting old, um, and and time beats out all of us. But Brandon Williams, just that classic solid pick. I know Jace, if he was here, would tell the story that you you see the third round and Brandon Williams out of some school that nobody's ever heard of, and then when they get to recapping his pick, Mel Kiper, one of those guys, talks about how great he is, and then Trey Wingo throws to this viral clip of Brandon Williams and all 350 pounds of him or or whatever it was doing a handstand and walking on his hands because he was that talented. And I remember seeing that and going, this kid might make it. Yeah. I mean, that is impressive. It's like the Haloti, not a rugby video, man. It's just to see a big guy doing stuff like that is always impressive. And and it's translated to the football field as well. Brandon Williams out of uh, football powerhouse, Missouri Southern state. Right. How did I forget? MIAA conference that we all watch so many games of during the season. So, yeah, look, it's tough to draft in the NFL. It's a crapshoot in a lot of ways. As Tim mentioned, look look at this draft, pull it up, and look at picks like 
2 through 12. A, a lot of disastrous names in there. Uh, there's a guy drafted 24th whose name is Bjorn Werner and was a German-born Never have heard of that name in my entire life. That guy was a first-round pick. So a lot of hit and miss uh, with draft picks. The Ravens tend to do better than a, the vast majority of NFL teams, but I wanted to look at this draft just because of how painful Matt Elam ended up being as a pick and just how much talent ends up going after him. We're going to look at some more uh, drafts in other episodes, especially when we get Jace back on here. We'll probably have a bit more of the college football aspect knowledge more so than we will of these guys coming out of these schools. But, Tim, any any final thoughts on uh, the frustrations of Matt Elam or, or just this draft in general? No, no, I don't want to talk about that. I have some breaking news on the podcast as we record this. Again, you're listening to this a little later. Um, Jamal Adams, quote, tweeted, "What? Not, this is not crazy breaking news, and if it was, you would have already known it by the time you listened to this, but he... Uh, so Marcus May, who plays for, it looks like he is a safety for the New York Jets, apparently says, I've been getting all this new fake love now. And I think that's be- he's basically saying everybody hates Jamal Adams, who's a Jets fan now. They're big fans of me. Shake my head is what he said. Jamal Adams, quote, just keep doing you. Show why you're the best free safety in the game. Jamal Adams obviously thinks he's a strong safety. You deserve everything coming your way. I'm a miss balling with you the most. So basically describing his time with the Jets uh, as time in the past. So it looks like even if he's not trade traded, Jamal Adams will not suit up in the green and white anymore. I think that's interesting. Um, and yeah, I wanted to talk about an actual good safety and not Matt Elam. So I figured I would bring that one up. That's a nice, a nice way. I think to sort of tie a bow on this episode, uh, I guess, you know, Eric DaCosta, Start making some calls. I don't know. I, I sort of – I don't love how that – I think that trade would have to go to get a Jamal Adams, but talent is talent. So if you can add a pro bowler, all pro on your roster, go for it. So we'll be back in two weeks with I with Jace and Jamal Adams, I, I guess. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, let's, uh, let's answer the random raven here and then uh, wrap this show up. I'll go over the clues one more time. This random raven – was drafted by the team in the 2012 NFL Draft in the fourth round, played three seasons with the Ravens, won a Super Bowl in 2012, playing in all 16 games, starting none. In 2013, got his big chance, replaced a six-time Pro Bowl lineman to be a starter on the Ravens' offensive line, and he started all 16 games. After that season, experiment over, because by 2014, he is replaced by Jeremy Zuta, and he would never start another game for the Ravens. He does go on to play three more years in the NFL, bouncing around on different teams, including the Carolina Panthers. Tim, you got it at a certain point, I I believe, when I was talking about replacing the six-time Pro Bowl lineman. Who do you you think a random Raven is this week? Well, that lineman would be Matt Burke, who I once interviewed in the Ravens locker room and had to ask him about his Harvard hockey sweater. Fun fact. Nobody needs to know that, but I figured I'd share uh, a man who also is a fighting blue hen, much like our favorite Joe Flacco. That is Gino Gradkowski, the center. Beautiful. Uh, the, I, the college clue was the one I sort of had in the back pocket that didn't want to bring up the, the Joe Flacco tie. I thought that would have made it too obvious. But it is absolutely Gino Gradkowski. I have vague memories of him getting overpowered a lot when yes. he started that one season. So it, it sort of makes a lot of sense that by season 
three, let's say, on the team, but season two, after starting, uh, time to get a replacement, and it was Jeremy Zuta, who was better than Gradkowski uh, and ended up being sort of a, a a fine replacement, I suppose, an average-level player in the NFL. So Gino Gradkowski, your random Raven, add him to the offensive line, offensive lineman that we already have, and this team's going to... Joe Flacco's still going to get sacked pretty often, pretty often with this uh, offensive line that we have. So, Tim, any last uh, thoughts as we wrap up here, the late June episode of Pot Like a Raven? Yeah, uh, the, the next time we'll be speaking to you, it will be July, which is terrifying. And maybe we'll have some new Ravens who are pretty significant. I doubt it, but maybe we will. For Tim Horsey. I'm Antonio Barbera. Thank you so much for listening to us. We will be back in two weeks on Pod Like a Red. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.